Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Virginia Tech, dead. Hofstra, dead. Photos of John Brannon in 2020, dead. The curse is back, baby. Can Wes Miller break it? He officially has a photo with Hummer. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Indeed it is, Hummer. You taunted the Cincinnati Bearcat fan base by daring to attend another road matchup in person as you trekked all the way out to Long Island, New York to watch the Bearcats take on Speedy Claxton's Hofstra University in a second round NIT clash. And to boot, you took the post-game photo uh, for any for any deep, long-time listeners of the Cincy Slangin' podcast. You'll know that Hummer went to a Temple game on the road. This is peak. John Brandon's going to be a Hall of Famer. John Brandon's going to coach in the NBA talk for Hummer. These are I his was trying picks. to get, I was trying to get the photo pre pre Hall of Fame before he's untouchable. These are his takes, not mine. But he decided to get the photo, and literally everything went to hell after that. And Hummer some decided. Say, some might say that was the peak of John Brandon's career, and it quite literally all went downhill from that Temple game. Uh, literally, was the start of the end of John Brandon. And you have the audacity to track down Wes Miller with a puke-soaked child on your chest to get a photo. <laughs> <laughs> to get a photo taken with the beloved, the new beloved coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team in West Miller. What do you have to say? How do you defend this? What do you have to First say off, for yourself? Let's, let's, let's back this up. Let's back this up. Cause you're talking about the puke soaked child. I want people to know the dedication that exists from this man. Cause getting the Hofstra is not the hard part from where I live. It's a, it's a mere 45 minute without traffic an hour, 20 tops with traffic. Okay. The the commitment on my end was not great in order to make this happen. However, on the way there, I have a couple friends who will, another UC alumni with us, uh, uh, currently a very famous person. He's been on TV. Uh, he, he talks about ticketing. He's the he's the PR mastermind behind SeatGeek, Cameron Papp. With he's a big his, Look, he's a big, big wig. wig. Just say it. With his, say what it is. With his lovely wife, Allie, Allie Papp. And and their son Ollie and we have my. You want to give daughter. out their social security and address while you're at it? You want to look those yes. up? Put them on the 7, pod. Seven 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 fifty two, ninety seven thirty eight seventy six. Those are fake social security numbers. I don't know if that is anybody's. I'm sorry. Either way, I have my daughter Coco with me. Oh shoot! And here I am thinking, oh, Coco hasn't pooped in like twelve hours. Nothing big, you know, just a little poop, just a little smell. We're all going to have to deal with it for another thirty minutes. No, she, then I hear, it's not stopping. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean it's not stopping? It's it's vomit. She is vomiting up her lunch, all down her chest, all down her, 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 her stomach. And by the way, the first time using this car seat, for any of you parents out there, when you when you upgrade the car seat, she has grown out of the, the infant car seat. This is the very first time using this car seat. Vomit everywhere. We have to pull over. 
I'm texting my wife. Where did you put the extra stuff? And my wife has the audacity to say, are you still going to the game? <laughs> I was like, um, yeah, why wouldn't I? How are you going to clean her? I don't know. Hillbilly bath. We just took some wipes down, wiped her down pretty good. Oh, got her good enough. Strapped her back in. Off we went. Actually, we put her back in the car with just a diaper. No, we, we didn't even put clothes back on her in case she threw up again. We only had one, one backup with us and we made it. We powered through. We made another 30 minutes into that journey. We made it to the arena. We changed her back into some new clothes. And as you can see on some photos, she's happy eating, enjoying. In fact, you guys missed it, but you probably made us all a baby being fed on the broadcast for about 30 seconds. That was the other counterparty here to, to the story. They became TV famous for about 30 seconds uh, to, to UC fans. But we made it. That was dedication. And I don't regret a minute of it. That was one of the, actually one of the better live sporting events I've been to. So let's, before we get into talking at length about, you know, NIT big picture, which is something I never really anticipated doing on this podcast, but here we are, we're on a run in the NIT and we have to talk about it. And I want to talk about it. I'm not saying that begrudgingly. I'm looking forward to this conversation, <laughs> but I do want you to put us in that Hofstra arena it looked quite crowded. It's very small. It feels, you know, like your classic quote unquote high school type gym, but it did seem to be a pretty solid environment to watch a basketball game. You clearly were able to get pretty close to the court. Maybe you could even hear Wes Miller from where you were sitting. Put me, put me in Hofstra. What was happening? What was the vibe? How did you enjoy watching a game from that arena? For those in Cincinnati, if you've ever been to Mount St. Joe's high school basketball you know, college, sorry, college, sorry, technically it's college. It's like Mount St. Joe's, uh, but a little bigger, right? It's, it's actually, I think it holds, I don't know if the exact numbers, it was somewhere like three to 4,000 people. And when you go to buy tickets online, it was saying like, oh, one to few seats left in this section. And I went and did some Googling of some Hofstra games to figure out which bench would be theirs. Found the UC bench, positioned myself right behind it. It worked out pretty well. There was a decent crowd there. Here's what I got to say about Hofstra fans. They are some of the best away fans in the world. They are kind. They are courteous. And frankly, they were just happy to be there. I, I don't know how else to say it. Like They were enjoying being in the NIT. They weren't embarrassed about it. They were proud to have made some sort of postseason appearance. Even after the game, after they they had lost and UC had pulled away and, and made it, you know, inev the inevitable was clear. They were still cheering for two point buckets. They were, and then they 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 applauded their team off the court after the game was over. They they even they turned around. And they said some some kind words to us. The the small contingent of about I'd say there's maybe forty or fifty UC fans in attendance. You know, they, they turned around, they said some kind words to us. Great, great people, atmosphere. But as we were walking in, they don't serve alcohol at the arena either too, which doesn't really matter. I was driving, but as I'm walking in, they do have metal detectors and the guy goes, uh, don't worry about taking your backpack off. Cause I had the diaper bag with me. He, he's like, don't take that off. I'm like, you sure? He goes, yeah, no, I, I know what you have in there. It's probably just, you know, hopefully a bottle for her, hopefully a little something for yourself to enjoy and i was like well not not this time around on the dd he goes well got it better be safe i'm like so you're just cool with me sneaking booze 
in into your into your basketball games. Applaud applaud the Hofstra security. Uh, great 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 environment. But when you walk in where we were sitting, the arena doesn't have a walk around. So in order to get to our seats, we had to walk basically onto the court and cut behind right behind UC's bench and then to get to our seats. So we were literally right there. I'll post some photos. We got a nice uh, uh, a couple's photo of, of me and the baby uh, right behind UC warming up in the second half. Like we were, we were able to get right up there. And to me, that's kind of one of the, the cool things about playing a small venue, similar to going down to uh, St. Thomas, is that you're right there. Like you forget how big these players are. Like and how even though they're, they're college, like the smallest player on the court being Dave the Joys is still like six three. Yeah, he's like six foot. Six foot. Still a monster though. I mean he's fit, muscular, solid dude. But you've also got Vic Lockin standing there at six eleven. You've got Oguama who's built like Zeus. You know, you've got a lot of Nolly. I'm I'm I expect Nolly looks a lot bigger and imposing in person. You know, he's six seven certainly has some strength to him, not slender, not petite by any means, you know? So yeah, in, a, in an arena like that, you can actually get a feel for, for what we're dealing with in terms of how strong and fast and, and big these athletes are. It is interesting to hear you describe the Hofstra fans being happy to be there celebratory, you know, not dwelling or, or heckling the players as they're walking off the court and losing a game to end their season. It, it does lend, you know, it, it kind of lends, thought to where, where our fan bases are from a perspective standpoint, you know, and in, in our fan base, the perspective of the NIT is much, much different and ending your season here is much different. And I think this is a, this is a pro NIT podcast in terms of thinking that we should be playing in the, these games. I do think that there's value and we'll certainly get into those things, but there's other folks who say, if you're not making the NCAA tournament, it's a failure and it's a season that's not worth, truly celebrating in that regard but you know this is at the end of the day college athletics and we're supporting in in theory your home university the place that you attended for four plus years and got a degree from and it's worth celebrating it's worth kind of you know treasuring these moments you get these happy moments and and finding finding the positive in in a current situation uh knowing that there's there is a strong desire for it to improve and improve quickly with this fan base specifically. I'm, I'm curious for people who, who got to go to the Virginia tech game, uh, what their take on this would be. Cause I feel like throughout the, the course of the regular season, right. The normal, the, the peasants, if you would, we have to sit up in the upper deck because the, donors who don't go to the games don't occupy the lower bowl so for once the peasants were allowed into the hen the hen pen the lion's den we were allowed to go crazy and you're able to see the intensity up close and being at this game i saw a uc team that was it looked like they're playing the win there was intensity there was fire there was we need to find a way to win this game. Even when there was a time where they were struggling to get the ball inside in the first half, and they, they kind of went back a little bit to let's just take the first open three ball that we that we get type of game. You saw them fighting for rebounds. You saw them fighting for positions. And frankly, 
I saw, I did see a team that was, was just way more athletic than the competition. And we didn't let them hang around in the second half. We did what we needed to do. And even towards the end of the game, we kept the foot on the gas. We never, we never let up the intensity. I saw Odio Guama fighting so hard. It's like he was fighting for his life for rebounds down low. And frankly, it, it gets, that's encouraging to me that it looked like we're playing to win this thing, not just playing to be in this thing. Yeah, I think that the the performance from the Bearcats the first two games in the NIT has has been promising to say the least. You had a first round matchup at home against Virginia Tech against a team that lacked athleticism. We spoke at length about this matchup with Mitch <clears throat> earlier in the week, and and Mitch was you know he outlined it perfectly. This wasn't a team Virginia Tech that is that could really do anything against the Bearcats defensively. They would pose some threats offensively, and and in that game, they missed quite a few open three-pointers. The Bearcats were dragging in the first half. It was a pretty subpar performance overall outside of a magnifico stretch from Daniel Skillings, who has really come on here at the end of the season. But the Bearcats continued to fight, continued to defend even better in the second half, and found a way to pull out a victory there at home in front of, as you alluded to it, a very raucous crowd where you... You let the normal folk into the lower section, and sure enough, the stadium's environment goes up multiple levels. This Hofstra performance to me was was even more emphatic and impressive. It was a it was a start to finish dismantling. The Bearcats basically got whatever they wanted. It was wanted. not start to finish. It was start to finish. It was not. There was a period in the second half where Hofstra was doing a very good job of of protecting the interior, and they were not letting us penetrate. And they they closed the gap, and I think at one point actually took the lead against us. I never uh, worried. I didn't worry. It's for not one about minute. worrying. It, there was a point in time though where it's not start to finish. We didn't execute for a, a, a small stretch of time, and we let them hang around. And that does get dangerous when you're playing against inferior competition. And it doesn't matter if you're in NCAA or the NIT. It's March. These are teams playing for. There's there's nothing left to play for except this. It's dangerous it, to let teams hang around, and it could have gone the other way if they weren't finding ways to penetrate. If you're going to nitpick, you know, the Bearcats had a pretty so, a pretty solid margin throughout most of the first half. 39-32 with a minute left half. Minute and a half, minute and a half left in the first half. That was close to a three-point lead heading into the second half. I just, I never looked at it like the Bearcats had any struggles. You know, they... The interesting thing, part of this game, you, we were clearly outmatching this team from a size perspective. Oh, that was obvious. Now, it was very clear. There have been games when the Bearcats could have made a concerted effort to get the ball into Victor Lockin and get the ball into Odio Guama or even just drive the paint, and they wouldn't do it. They would settle for cheap jump shots. They would settle for the path of least resistance, and they would take, you know, semi-contested deep three-pointers that if they go in, sure, razzle-dazzle, it looks great, but they more often than not don't go in and you let inferior teams hanging around, hang around, a la Tulane, a la East Carolina, a la NKU, and you don't you don't execute to the point of, of being able to put away bad competition. In this game, in the second half particularly, they were just extremely professional and disciplined about beating this team up inside. And and you saw it with Victor Locken going for, what, 16 points on 6 of 9 shooting. Odio Guama, 14 points on 7 of 8 shooting. And then players like David DeJulius, 
Nolly, guys who typically have a very high volume of three-pointers taken when you compare it to their overall field goal attempts, DeJulius only took two three-pointers for 12 overall shots. Nolly, four three-pointers for 13 overall shots. This is what was missing against Houston. Now, to some extent, it's missing because Houston defensively can dictate things that Hofstra cannot. So to an extent, I understand it, but it's it's the type of play and it's a style of basketball that we executed against Hofstra that I'm hoping and would love to see Wes Miller find a way to incorporate more steadily and more consistently against good competition. Because as we've seen in the NCAA tournament, this is how you win games. You don't win games through high risk, low resistance jump shooting. You know, you you win games through attacking the paint, drawing fouls, getting layups, or kicking out, working inside out for three pointers, as opposed to just settling for for cheap jump jump shots. I thought the Hofstra performance was really really solid. Yes, it's Hofstra. Yes, it's an '80s Ken Palm team, but it is it is a road game, and and the Bearcats went in there and handled their business and are clearly rallying around this tournament as a, as an opportunity to end the season on a high note. Look, we saw this with Houston. They weren't making outside shots against us. We were doing a pretty good job of making them miss three-pointers that they were just doing a bad job of making. So what they do? They went inside on us. They bullied us inside the paint, and they won by scoring a lot of points inside. That's what we did. We didn't shoot particularly well from the three-point land. We made, I think, four out of 14. Not particularly well, but we did a phenomenal job inside. My only point was, is you said start to finish, and there was a point where we – we weren't doing it and that is nitpicking, but it is, it's a part of the game. There was a stretch where it was, you were worried. We blew a 12, 13 point lead and let them come back and tie the game, finished a half only up three. And then it, so it is, but overall it was a great effort. It was a really fun game. My favorite play. And I can't believe this happened. We, th- we were throwing down all the oops. Like, I've never like it was it looked like we were looking at like a 90, a 90s early 2000s Bearcat team of just like straight up just dunk city baby. Odio Guama was getting his. Victor Locken was getting his. They were just feeding and breaking the rim. And my favorite pass was it was in the first half an inbound play and Odio Guama takes the alley-oop from the inbounder slams it home. Even the Hofstra fans had to applaud. It was so pretty. <laughs> that was a gorgeous inbounds play. Odie threw it down emphatically. And Odie Oguama has been a, a bit of a revelation here at the end of the season. He's, since Victor Locken's injury against Tulane, he's been, he's unlocked something that we just haven't seen through a majority of his career as a Cincinnati Bearcat. He was not a guy you could rely on finishing around the rim inside, whether it was on, on offensive rebounds, giving him an entry pass. I mean, these are easy layups that either he wasn't even getting shot attempts on because he was slow to control the ball and slow to rise up and throw it down. Or, you know, he wasn't rebounding great and his defensive efforts were lacking. And instead we've seen him turn into a really good rebounder as a guy who can catch the ball and finish the ball in the paint his shooting percentage is is astronomical here toward the end of the season. And it's the exact type of player that the Bearcats do need to bring into the Big 12, frankly. You know, I, there's a lot of talk and debate and conversation around 
who should go, who should stay, what do we need? I don't even want to get fully into that right now. I just want to point out that Odio Guama specifically is the exact type of big we need in the Big 12. Is he going to be high level? Is he going to be like elite in that conference? No. But if he's your third big, that puts you in better shape. Right now he's our second big. You rely for on him for starting minutes. I think if Wes Miller has his way, we're recruiting at least another one to two bigs next year on top of Odie and Vic to really round out a front court that can consistently perform at a high level. And as we saw the the graphic during the game, heading into the Hofstra game, the Bearcats were 19-2 and when out-rebounding opponents. Against Hofstra, they destroyed them on the boards, taking them 20-2. and Okay, that makes sense to me. When we out-rebound and out-physical opponents, we win a lot of games. So we need to do a, to do a better job out physicaling opponents in against tougher competition. To do that, what do you need? You need bigger athletes, better athletes, more size. So let's go get it. Yeah, I think the thing we're also missing too. We, we still have a turnover problem, but Hofstra just didn't have the didn't have the horses to compete. No, no, no shame to them. Like you said, we were bigger, faster, stronger, more athletic. Yeah, what we need, what we need more of that. Yes. Um, I think we're also, we keep hitting on this. I think Victor Locken needs to continue his development because there's some times where almost like his, his glaring weakness is also, I think kind of one of like, it's also can be viewed as a strength in terms of like, depending on what day it's hitting, when you get the ball to him, when he's posting up and he wants to take a couple dribbles in, and he, t- and, he, and he takes the shot inside, and he's great at making them. But I think if he could get uh, even just another step quicker, I know you want to laugh so hard at this, but he can he can take it and he needs to get one step closer to the basket, one step closer to make the shot even higher percentage, bullying his way more, getting bigger, and being able to be a bigger presence in size than he already is. I think that's how he becomes an elite big, where right now he's a really good big. I think he he has a little bit left that he can he can take that set become an elite big at the next at this next level in the Big Twelve. This has been a very Victor Locken friendly podcast over the last couple of years. You know, it's I I have not Just been the first shy. criticism we're giving of him. <laughs> I, I was going to say I have not been shy about lauding him to uncomfortable degrees in terms of how how important I think he is to the Cincinnati Bearcats team and how much potential he might have as a player. I do think everything you just said about him is very much warranted. I offered, I was extending a level of grace about his return over the last, over the end of the season because of coming off a tough ankle injury. You lose some conditioning. You're almost seven feet tall. An ankle injury does compromise your ability to move, to be comfortable, to be explosive. And, and he's, he's shown signs of, of weakness here at the end of the season and more inconsistency than we had grown accustomed to. I'm I'm still a huge advocate for Victor Locken. I do think he is the most important te- person on this team. He's the most important player throughout this season. He affects winning more than any other player on this team. And he is the most important player coming back next season in the Big 12. But you're pointing out that he needs to be stronger and tougher in the paint and have better hands and stronger hands is dead on. This guy needs to continue to develop, to continue to grow, because you know, you look at the NCAA tournament and watch Purdue lose to a a 16 seed and in, in Fairleigh Dickinson. And 
Purdue is this team built around Zach Eddy, who's seven foot four, puts up tremendous numbers, likely the, the player of the year in college basketball this season. And he was being defended by a team that was the shortest in college basketball. And he still got stats. I think I think he put up, you know, close to 20 and 15 in the game. But if you looked at the number of times that he couldn't catch the ball or control the ball in the lane, it was despicable. And that's what Victor Locken wants to avoid. When you start playing, and that was fairly Dickinson, by the way, in the Big 12, catching and finishing around the rim get tougher. You have to be strong enough to control the ball, squeeze it, and be a sure player when the ball hits your hands. That is the next level of his development. Now, the good news for Bearcat fans, the good news for the thing that to be realistic about is this guy is a sophomore. He's playing as a sophomore right now. There's still two more years of development left with this player. He's got tremendous upside when you think about another year of strength, conditioning, and, and developing his game. He took a massive leap freshman to sophomore year. I expect the same type of leap potentially heading into his junior year when you consider, you know, statistically it may not increase the same percentages, but you see him go up when our guards start getting him the ball more consistently. When Wes is running more more sets that focus on getting the ball and running the offense through Victor Locken, maybe more assists, more rebounds, become a double-digit rebounder. Um, and we saw Victor Locken grow too in, in, the, in the area of not fouling and, and not picking up as many stupid fouls. So I, I think the, the sky is the limit, but there are obvious weaknesses that he does need to address in the offseason. I think, I think the the obvious answer there, too, is, is the more of a threat you become, the more teams have to adjust to you as a player and start double teaming you if you get the ball. And it, it opens up, up our other opportunities where we do have some decent shooting on this team. They just do particularly well when they're wide open not when they're taking contested three-pointers. So if, if if we're able to do that, I think, this, like you, you just said, the sky's the limit. Uh, we're really looking forward to what, what he's going to bring. Um, are we looking forward? Like, what, what's the next step here? Do we, do we, do we even talk well, about what's next? Is it Utah Valley? Is it Colorado? Is it, what, what are we, what are we talking about here? Well, I, I'm not going to do a game preview. It could be Utah Valley. It could be Colorado. Frankly, I don't really care who it is. You know, I'm not looking for the easiest possible matchup. I would have loved to see the Bearcats play Rutgers, frankly. I, I regret that we weren't able to, to see that matchup. What I would ask you is maybe a bigger picture about NIT. You know, there is some conversation about, you know, the value of this tournament. It's I think there's a good portion of the fan base that's really rallied around it and is enjoying watching this team play. But there there are people who would, would look at this tournament and say, by playing in it, you're delaying you're delaying the development of your roster for the next season. You know, if the season was already over, you might see guys enter the transfer portal. You would see Cincinnati potentially be able, the staff being able to dedicate more time and more energy around just actively pursuing recruits or or transfer portal opportunities across college basketball rather than coaching and and playing more games. Where where are you with this tournament and the value of it and why you think it's important for the Cincinnati to play or if you even think it is important for Cincinnati to be playing these games? Let me ask you a question. Are Kansas fans happy 
that they lost in the second round of the tournament. So that way Bill Self's staff can go out and recruit more players from the portal. Hummer, they're or in the they, real tournament. Or, they, the real, or, they, the un- tournament. or are they unhappy that they're no longer in the tournament and that their staff has time. My point is Hummer, they're in the no, real there's tournament. no such thing as there's no such thing as bad press, is my point here. The fact that you're still in this tournament, you're still playing, you're still making headlines, you're still causing up social media clicks, you're, you're you're getting likes, you're getting engagement. That is far more valuable right now than to say, oh, we're not going to do this. We're not going to go play because we need to go hit. Because some of the guys that you're going to go for in the portal are still playing basketball right now. It makes it does no different. It makes no difference whether you are playing right now or not, because some of these teams that you're going to go after their players are currently playing. And we don't know who exactly for hundred percent is on that. It is way better to be playing right now because right now we're seeing this team play with an energy, a, a sense of urgency that frankly we've been wanting to see all year. It's they're playing great basketball and we want to see it continue and you want to see the momentum ride on because that you want players to see that, Hey, this team can't achieve something. I want to come play here. I want to be a part of this Bearcat team. I want to be a part of this winning culture. I want to be a part of this. If you sit there and quit and end the season on a low note against a blowout loss to Houston again, it ruins all that momentum. And you know what guys, we're no one's right now. Cincinnati is not in a position to say we're better than the NIT. We haven't been in that position in five years. Yeah, I would say this. I think the last point you made is why you play in the NIT. I don't think the Cincinnati Bearcats team, fans, program could afford to go into another offseason on the low note that was the 69 48 beatdown at the hands of Houston. Having that be the final taste in your mouth heading into the Big 12 would have been bad for fans. It would have been bad for the mental health of the team. It would have been bad for just general program momentum. And so entering your name into the NIT is something you do when you know your team is ready to compete and continue to play, and continue to try and win games. North Carolina did not play in the NIT. Dayton did not play in the NIT. And to me, that's a telltale sign that as a coach, you don't think your guys are ready to compete. You think that if I put their name in the hat for the NIT, these guys aren't going to show up, and we're likely to get embarrassed against the likes of a Hofstra or embarrassed against the likes of a Utah Valley. I think that Wes Miller likely had a level of confidence in UC playing in the NIT because he thought, I think these guys are going to play for each other. I think they are going to go in there and compete and try and win the whole thing. I think we are going to have more opportunities for Daniel Skillings to get good game action against solid competition. Mitch made this point. We're not playing tournament teams in the NIT, obviously, but you are playing solid college basketball teams. The competition is better than some of the you know seller dwellers of the American Athletic Conference. These are the type of teams that we didn't really necessarily play in the American Athletic. And so it does give you some more measuring sticks. It gives you more opportunities to actually demonstrate a level of execution, develop cohesion, and, and build, like you said, momentum heading into the next season. So I think it was 
a good thing for the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program to play in the tournament because it does no one any good to just end your season again with the ass kicking at the hands of Houston and saying, well, let's see if we can do anything next year. No, let's let's see ourselves measure. Let's see our program measure itself against a, a lower caliber of team, but still a solid, solid caliber of team and see how we stack up. And so far, two games in, West Miller and the Bearcats have done an exceptional job of that. Keep in mind, too, winning the NIT is not something that's really easy to do. It's not like there's how many teams in this thing? 32, 16, 32 teams in this thing. It's still not an easy thing to do to win, right? You still have to go on a winning streak. You can't lose a game, right? This isn't just like it's a given. Otherwise, we would have won one of these every year we've ever been in it. And we haven't. We have lost this tournament plenty of times. In fact, we've lost it more than we've won it, right? And so this is still an accomplishment. I, we joke about, do we want the T-shirt? I will probably join you in getting the ironic T-shirt, right? I'm saving the tattoo for when we win the NCAA tournament. Like when we get the national championship, I'm getting the real tattoo, but I'll get the T-shirt <laughs> if we win this thing, okay? I'll the get way, the T-shirt. The way I described it is you buy the T-shirt in the event that, Wes Miller and this program start ripping off tournament appearances, but also tournament, you know, runs. If two years down the line, Wes Miller and the Bearcats are are playing their way into a sweet 16 or an elite eight, that NIT shirt is actually kind of cool because that t-shirt starts looking more like a flashpoint moment when the program and the trajectory of the program made a, a turn upward and started rising again, as opposed to, you know, this current run we're on of four consecutive years, three consecutive tournaments of no tournament appearances. And so, I you know, those, vibe, I, though. don't you get that vibe that this does feel a bit like a turning point? I'm not ready to go that far because we haven't won the NIT and we, we've no, no, beaten, I'm saying winning the NIT. I'm saying being here where we are, we've, we've, we've had a decent end of the season we have won the first two games in the NIT. We've played well in these games. We've fought hard. We've we've done what we need to do. We've seen the the growth and from the coaching perspective. We've seen growth from the personnel. We've seen us getting more out of players that we thought we always could. Right? This feels like this is kind of the turning point in my mind of Wes Miller's short tenure here of this is going in an upward trajectory. Here's why I'm, I'm holding off from that. The Bearcats have won more than, than two games in a row this season. In fact, they did have a four game winning streak earlier in the year. Here's what our, here's what our winning streaks of three games or more look like this season. We started out the year beating Chaminade high school, Cleveland state, EKU. That was our first three-game win streak. Then we had a three-game losing streak against NKU, Arizona, Ohio State. Hey, that turned out to be a really good loss. We, <laughs> we then had another three-game winning streak against... Arizona turned out to be a pretty bad loss. They were they were terrible. We, we had another... <laughs> just I'm just not taking the bait. We had another three-game winning streak against Louisville, NJIT, and Bryant. We then lost to Xavier. We then had a four-game winning streak against Miami, Ohio, LaSalle, Detroit Mercy, and Tulane. Four high schools. Yeah, keep going. Our next three-game winning streak was against Eastern Carolina, 
SMU and USF. And three we, more and high schools. Yep. That was back. That was back on January 11th. We have not won three consecutive games since January 11th to one to January 18th. And so we've again won two games in a row and it's against Virginia tech at home and it's against Hofstra on the road. We don't know what the next matchup is, or if we do, I haven't looked it up yet. Um, My point is there's more work to do to really definitively say this is a, you know, rousing success or some sort of turning point for the program. But I am willing to acknowledge that playing in this tournament has been good for the Bearcats basketball program. And they've played well, and it's evidence of a team that believes in their coach, wants to play for their coach, and isn't giving up on one another. They are they are competing, they are playing hard, and that's more than you can say for other teams at this time of year when they don't make the NCAA tournament. So it doesn't mean everything, but it does mean something. Look, the way I look at it, I just said the way I look at it, but here's here's I guess I'll take it back to last year. When we look at Wes Miller coming into what he took over. Right. I think that at that time, and I think I've said this before, but he's had to, I think he had to prioritize building trust over culture when he first came in here. It was, I have a program where every single player has basically, except for two, have said, I'm transferring, I'm out. He's coming into a situation that may be what's considered worse than actually having NCAA sanctions in place because he may not even have a squad. It may be full of completely full of transfers, JUCOs, and people who don't know each other. So I think his first year here was not only and not only that, he had an alumni base that was against him. He had to go because of the whole Eric Martin. We're thinking we get false signals being thrown up from BCJ that it's Eric Martin going to be, be coming in hot as our next head coach, which turned out to be you know false signals. So everybody's super excited. The alumni behind it. And all of a sudden, it's a name that comes out of nowhere that no one knew because John Cunningham does such a great job of keeping things close to the chest. And that's not a knock against anybody out there. He does a great job of that. So he has to come in and not only build the trust of the players on the current roster to get you to come back, he has to do the tour of, of apologies, if you would, or the tour of, of, of you know walking back the, the shame, shame, shame and meeting with, with our alumni doing a zoom call with all the former players to say, Hey, the program's in good hands. I don't remember anybody making John Brandon do that. I don't remember anybody making Mick Cronin do that. I don't remember anybody having to do that before, except for Wes Miller. So he came into a shitty, pretty shitty situation. And I think he's had to do a lot of building. And I think right now we're starting to see culture coming through. He has the trust. We saw it at the press conference where, where, um, um, Shuey is talking to him and he kind of says, you know, you see him coaching right in the moment, right there at the press conference. Right. And so the trust is already there. I think we're seeing culture being built. I think we're actually seeing Wes Miller's culture coming through and it's only going to get better from here. Culture to me is not what's happening off the court. Culture to me is what we see on the court. And I would say largely through the most of the season, we saw a lack of culture. A majority of this season had a lack of culture. We were inconsistent in terms of defending. We were inconsistent in terms of how we executed on offense. And a lack of consistency is a lack of culture. Culture is where you can start replicating your style of play. Culture is where 
you're paying attention to the little things and there's accountability for the type and the type of play you have and the decisions you make on the court. And for a large part of the season, that was lacking. I do think that the ECU collapse, the Tulane collapse, these are moments that that left West Miller sort of having a, a, a moment to look inward and ask himself if I'm doing everything I can to get the most I possibly can out of this team. And if he's being honest, I think he would say there's, I, I could extract more from the players on this team. I can demand more from the players on this team. And I do think that we've seen more signs of a more demanding coach toward the end of the season. It definitely has to carry over into next season for me to say he's building a culture. I would say that this season has lacked that. But I do think I you make a fair, you make an interesting and fair point, which is this whole idea of trust versus culture. I do think he, to me, he overemphasized this trust thing at the beginning of his stint with Cincinnati. You know, it. you can't coach, you can't approach your team and approach your program with the other guy in mind. He should have always been approaching this as I'm going to co- going to coach how I coach basketball. I have the best intentions for all of my players. I want them to get better as basketball players. I want them to grow as human beings and people. I want them to help them be great teammates for everybody uh, that's part of this program. And he, he was dropping the ball from my standpoint on holding players accountable to a higher level and a higher standard of basketball. And it's only toward the end of the season that we've seen a true shift in that department. Well, let, let me, let me just like build on that then with, with the trust thing. Cause let's let, let me put it another way. There's something we do know. I think we do know, at least at this point, we can, I don't even know if it, we, we can safely assume maybe John Brandon was a good recruiter, right? He recruited good players. He recruited some talent. Victor Locken is, is in fact a John Brandon recruit. David Julius is in fact a John Brandon recruit. Shuey is in fact a John Brandon recruit. Most of the starting players on this rotation in this rotation are in fact John Brandon recruits. Tari Eason was a John Brandon recruit, right? Can I can I name a few other uh, John Brandon recruits? Yes, I'm counting Rob Banks as a, as a John Brandon recruit because Rob Banks got a scholarship offer. I'm counting Bryson Spell as a John Brandon recruit. I'm counting Mike Saunders Jr., Mason Madsen. Gabe Madsen, guys who weren't able to to hack it at Cincinnati who did have to leave. You know, guys who I enjoyed watching, enjoyed rooting for, but, you know, they weren't necessarily going to be true difference makers. In, in well, terms my, of my point was saying that my Davenport is also a John Brandon. Recruiter. The point I'm getting to about the recruiting is that when when you're being recruited, right, and we've talked about this before, about the difference between Atari Eason, who you know is, in fact, a, a one to two year type player. You know, we're bringing in a Flory Beninga, hopefully, potentially, who's a one, probably one-year type player, right? Versus Jizzle and 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 Griffin, who are going to be more than likely three to four-year players. You're coming here to play for a coach. That's who you're coming for. And when the coach is ousted after only two years, that's a major shock. They didn't get to go through the whole program like they would expect it, that they do with the guy who recruited them. They weren't wanting to at some point, but... I still think that's a shock to the system. You get a lot of things that you have to come through and work through in order to overcome that, that obstacle. So the way I'm looking at it right now is I think Wes Miller is, is on the verge of having 
a lot of great things happen. I think we got the recruiting piece in place. I think he's bringing in some phenomenal talent that that is going to be able to be, be built upon. And we've talked about this before. You land Flurry, and all of a sudden, this is a different level of expectations of what we're expecting because he's a guy who's going to come in and instantly make an impact of the freshman because he has NBA size and talent. For sure. Yeah, I think um... you got to land him though. Still, I mean, <laughs> I can't. Not, he's not landed yeah. yet. The plane is not touched down. <laughs> yeah, I, I like I like the approach to West Miller's recruiting. I have no doubt that he's not leaving any stones unturned in re, in the recruiting area. But I also think, you know, there's the proof is in the pudding, and and Daniel Skillings and Josh Reed are guys who I could see developing into long term program contributors. But they're projects, you know, these are these are classic freshmen that require a level of development and growth. And that's really why you bring them into your program is because you believe they can turn into that. But we have to see it with our own eyes to know for sure. Jizzle James, Rayvon Griffith, obviously, guys, you you accept into your program every day of the week. They both have athleticism. They both appear to be about all the right things, winning, hustle, effort, energy. Um, and then they both have the, the raw skill set that can be molded into something that contributes to winning basketball. The real difference maker is what you what you alluded to is if you could start landing the Flory Badungas of the world, then you're really doing something. Then you are a true quote unquote recruiter, but there's still much to be determined there. It hasn't happened yet. Being close to getting Isaiah Collier doesn't count. We do have one guy, uh, one expert with the crystal balls for Flory who is five of five all time on a. Uh, or sorry, for, for 24, 2024 accuracy. He is all-time 84 for 84, 100% accuracy. Back on October 5th, did predict UC as the landing spot for Flurry. But like we said, we don't have that in place. I still think it stands. I think Wes Miller's doing doing the right stuff. I think he's on the verge of having a breakout. I think the NIT is the start of that, whether we win the whole thing or or next game we end up losing. I've seen enough this season to say there's been growth. I'm seeing a culture being established. I'm seeing a lot of positives that it gets me excited about this team. I'm no longer in the depths of despair of losing to uh, losing to a Northern Kentucky and the amount of anger I felt after that, the amount of anger I felt after losing to Ohio State, and then finally losing to a third in-house rival uh, of Xavier. And then on top of that with rumors that we actually did, and I probably do believe it, we lost the date in, in a, a blind scrimmage um, or a, a closed door scrimmage. I wouldn't put it past us that we lost that one early in the game, early and early in the season. We are probably, we're definitely 0 for 3, possibly 0 for 4 against local local squads. I mean, I was, that was, I was in a dark place. I'm, I'm seeing the light. I'm seeing some positive signs. I think that's a good place to leave it. I think it's so difficult for me. I don't, I really don't want to be a Debbie Downer. We're going to leave it there. We're going to leave it at the place of there are positive signs, but there's still, you know there's next, still... next, next time I'm going to bring my fishing, my fishing kit. All right. I'm going to dangle some more bait out there. And I'm just going to be like, give Wes some compliments. Look, here's, here's one. Is he a nice guy? He had an interview to get to. And I, I said, Hey, Wes, 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 before you go to, can we sneak one more photo in? Can we sneak one more? It's my daughter's first Bearcat game she's attended. 
she's a she's like 13 months. She has no idea what's going on. <laughs> he did it. <laughs> <laughs> he held up Terry Nelson. <laughs> he, he held up Dan Horde to take a photo with my daughter for her first Bearcat game, who literally quite literally she I think at one point she clapped for Hofstra because the rest oh. of the stadium was clapping. Work to be done. Work to be done on her fandom. But you know what? Claps for Wes. Nice job, Wes Miller, taking the time to get Hummer his photo that will no doubt put the curse on you and inevitably lead to your... By the way, the Ferragamos look good up close. <laughs> they look good up close, yeah. man. He knows how to rock some red and white and black Ferragamos. I do want people to know, we're total, the curse is not real. He's already made it past where the curse affected the last guy. So don't worry about the curse, folks. Hummer, it was good to talk with you, buddy. We might uh, jump on here for more reactions after our next NIT matchup in the middle of the week. Until then, sir, good deal with that dog that is unbelievably annoying tonight. Shout out to Conrad. We love you, Conrad. Conrad. (laughs) Cheers, buddy.